You are listening to the Balancing Act podcast with Danny Euro. I'm a licensed mental health counselor based out of Miami, Florida. I use the ideas and principles of acceptance and commitment therapy to help individuals who find themselves struggling in various areas of their lives. Episode 3. You can't change the waves, but you can ride them. This is the Balancing Act podcast, and my name is Danny Yero, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you've listened to our prior episodes, thank you so much for tuning in. If this is your first time finding us, welcome to the ride. This journey, this podcast, it comes from a place of help. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to inform, educate, and really just kind of share a paradigm that I find very helpful. And uh, as we all try to find a way to become more psychologically flexible. I'm a believer in this approach, and this is an approach that is very uh, collaborative. It pairs up with other approaches nicely. And this has been, this is episode three. So, so far it's been, you know, the beginning of a journey. It's very, um, you know, uh, we're trying to be flexible. We're trying to be, we're trying to practice what we preach. And this episode, we're going to be doing things a little different based on some really good constructive feedback and trying to make the information a little bit more consumable, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it. So um, I'm sure you'll notice the difference. And who knows, we're going to continue to evolve because that's really the goal for all of us, really, if you really come down to it, right? You either progress, digress, or regress. So we're going to try our best to progress. So in quick review, where we've been, episode one was about psychological flexibility and and our that being basically our our goal to become more flexible uh, in an effort to increase our quality of life. The second episode was about cognitive fusion and and cognitive diffusion, right? And and the goal being to be able to diffuse from thoughts that may influence our behaviors and and put us in a position of inflexibility. So diffusion being a way to become more flexible and how fusion could could be an undermining component or mechanism where if we're too fused to our thoughts, it may leave us to be inflexible. Um, that's where we were, and where we are today is talking about the idea of acceptance, uh, and we're going to explore it, the idea of acceptance in different ways, and it's opposite, right? Because acceptance is the way we are flexible, and the way we are inflexible is the opposite of acceptance, which would be experiential avoidance. So we'll discuss uh, some basic questions, and my hope is that these are just questions to help us understand this concept, right? try to get our creative juices flowing as we begin to listen to this material and see how we can apply it to our lives. I'll explore a little bit this idea of emotions and what might be some fused thoughts that we have about our emotions just to get a better grasp on them. We'll also talk about compassion. I think that's a very important component and how we might not do enough of it, at least with ourselves, right? We'll discuss suffering, which is a significant dilemma when it comes to this idea of acceptance and us wrestling with feelings and this how suffering is really what fuels us to experientially avoid uh, certain feelings. And then we'll discuss actually the inflexible component of this episode, which is experiential avoidance. And then to wrap up, we will 
you know, as we do from the end of each episode is the, is the challenge of the episode, right? Uh, and my effort to get you to pay attention and to be an active participant in your own life and to just, um, you know, ask yourself the questions in an effort to become more self-aware so you're not just reacting in the day-to-day. So let's get ready for the ride. Let's see how this goes. Questions to help us understand. What emotions come up that you find yourself struggling with? What do you do when these emotions come up? Do you go into a scripted language in your head when these emotions that are uncomfortable come up for you? What is life trying to teach you in these situations that bring up these feelings? Have you ever stopped to think about your relationship with certain feelings? It's like, have you ever noticed that there's some feelings that obviously you're more than happy to, to feel, and then there's others that you're not so happy to feel? And, and what do you do with those, the, the ones you're not, the, the unwelcome ones, the uncomfortable ones, the ones that bring you discomfort, right? Like, what are you doing with those? Like, why have those? Why are those surfacing? Why are they manifesting? What is it about the current situation in your life that these feelings have been elicited out of you? And in your effort to no longer feel them, are you missing out on the lesson that life is trying to teach you? Are you not going into the classroom to learn the lesson as to what is it about this situation that it snuck up on me? Why am I anxious right now? Why am I suddenly sad right now? Why do I feel so inadequate right now? Why do I feel this pressure all of a sudden upon me right now? And if you just run from it, if you if you find a way to avoid it, to experientially avoid that feeling because you just don't want to feel it, have you missed out? Have you missed out on insight, on self-awareness? Have you missed out on a lesson that life has been desperately trying to teach you every time a similar situation arises and eliciting that similar feeling? These are the questions that, you know, maybe I ask myself too much, especially in those ridiculously long red lights when I'm trying to get home after a long day of work. But I'm hoping that these are questions that will get you thinking on the right wavelength as we continue on in this topic of acceptance and experiential avoidance in our uh, ongoing pursuit of psychological flexibility. Our emotions. First off, I'm going to ask you a question. What is a positive feeling? And also, while we're at it, what is a negative feeling, right? Um, I, I do this a lot when I'm sitting with clients and I ask them, give me a list. Give me, give me the top three positive feelings that come to mind. And then normally the ones I get are joy, happiness, uh, you know, depending on if they're studying for the SATs or whatever, they got their GRE mind on point, you know, ecstatic might be a word they use. Uh, and, you know, great, well done. Those do sound like positive feelings. And then I follow that up with what is a negative feeling? Give me three negative feelings that come up. Like what would, what would be three feelings that you would deem negative? And uh, I normally get obviously um, sadness, depressed, betrayed. You know, if you were to go off a, a feeling wheel that has all these different feelings on them, right? And then I follow this up, you know, and this is... Uh, at a risk of sounding like an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, 
What if I told you that all feelings are just natural feelings? Right? I'm not sure if you uh, watch ESPN, but they always have those 30 for 30. Uh, what if I told you? And then it's like, you know, just like really insightful, like behind the scenes perspective on, on something about sports that we never thought about before, right? But seriously speaking, what if I told you that? What if I told you that all feelings are just natural? We're supposed to feel them all, right? Sometimes I use a visual of a painter using a palette full of colors, right? Blue, red, you know, and if you're a painter who does, who, you know, does a lot of like artwork, you really get these colors down to like different variations. You can have like, you know, uh, you know, uh, white, off white, uh, you know, jet black, blue, uh, you know, alizarin, crimson, you know, canary yellow. You get all these elaborate colors, right? But imagine our feelings are like that. Imagine our emotions are this big palette of colors, you know? And, you know, you could have the prototypical colors where, like, the sadness are all of these all these blue hues and anger is all these red hues. And maybe passion is, like, uh, these other variations of red with orange and maybe joy is yellow. And we're supposed to paint this portrait, this life portrait, with all of the colors. You know, you're not just supposed to paint this portrait with certain colors. If I suffer a loss in my life of a loved one and I feel sadness, the sadness is a natural feeling, right? We call it negative because it feels bad, right? That it's not comfortable. It's, there's a lot of discomfort associated with sadness and there's a lot of heaviness and it brings on all these thoughts, which we said last um, last episode that we get it kind of brings on this language that we're fused to, right? But if we're just sticking to the emotions, if I lose someone and it brings on uh, an emotion of sadness, that's a natural response. It's a natural feeling associated with that loss. Why should I run from it? Why should I avoid that emotion that comes up, right? And I think a really good starting point when we're talking about our emotions is to understand that they're all natural. You know, obviously now I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't want to be naive about this, right? Like if you're feeling a feeling for too long, right, then that's where, you know, us clinicians, we start talking about mood disorders and then there's some like, you know, clinical relevance, you know, clinically significant diagnoses that could come out if you're feeling a certain feeling for too long for for a certain amount of time. But I'm just talking more about particular events that elicit a particular feeling and we have a bad habit um, and I'm saying we you know I'm not immune by any means right but we have a bad habit to want to instantly gratify ourselves by trying to experientially avoid that uncomfortable feeling that we that we label negative when it's really just a natural feeling which is a natural response to this circumstance compassion Say your best friend calls you, your closest friend, right? Uh, the the Ben Affleck to your Matt Damon, right, calls you. And, uh, and just having the worst possible day imaginable, right? Just, uh, just a bunch of just one thing after another. It could be a heartache. It could be just a rough day at work. It could be maybe just a tough, a tough day in the stock market, whatever. Just this misery um, just uh, personified, right? Your friend calls you and he just dishes it all out on you on the phone, just like this happened and this happened and this happened and that happened, and just pouring one thing after another onto you, um, trying to find some kind of, I guess, sanctuary with, um, from, with you know from you because you're his best friend. Um, 
What's your response to that person, right? Um, I would wager to say uh, in some varied form or another, you're going to show your friend compassion, right? You're going to you're gonna you're, you're probably going to try to provide some form of soothing words, some kind of like feel good, like, look, at, um, I get it. I'm sorry. That's a terrible day you've had. You know, insert therapeutic intervention here, right? However, however, um, you know the the support with that particular friend works, but your your goal would be to show that person compassion. Why do we not show that same compassion to ourselves when we're having those feelings? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when? The thing happens that elicits the anger. If the thing happens that elicits the sadness, if the thing happens that elicits this sense of loneliness, when the thing happens that brings up this feeling that we would categorize as negative, right? Um, because we're we're still not you know proficient in just considering them negative, um, uh, natural, but we're still calling them negative. That feeling comes up, and but we don't show the compassion that we would for our friend who's calling us for support. We just don't show it to ourselves. We, we, we don't allow ourselves to love ourselves for having this feeling that doesn't feel good, you know, but yet we'll do it pretty much on cue um, if our friend asks it of us. Stephen Levine, man, is brilliant. He, uh, in, in one of his books, he has a book called Who Dies, which I highly recommend. He talks about this idea of compassion, right? And how when we meet pain with love, that's compassion. And then when we meet pain with fear, it's pity. And there's a disconnect when if I share a, a difficulty, a challenge with a friend, and, and then that friend meets my pain with, with pity, when they meet that pain with fear, I catch on, right? It's not as edifying. Uh, it's not as um, supportive. It's not as consoling than when that uh, when another friend were to meet my pain with love and show that compassion. Uh, and so we fall into the trap that when we are experiencing some form of pain, and then instead of showing ourselves love for being in that pain, instead. We show ourselves fear for having that pain, then we get into this mode of pity. And the logical response to that pity would be to experientially avoid that feeling, which is when we get into this realm of inflexibility, right? Versus allowing ourselves to feel it, allowing ourselves to feel whatever's coming up and being able to get into this realm of acceptance and showing ourselves compassion for feeling it. That's where our flexibility comes into play. So to be flexible is to be able to accept the feeling that comes up, show yourself compassion for having that feeling, rather than meeting that feeling with fear and pity, and then eventually leading to some form of experiential avoidance because you just don't want to feel that feeling. Suffering. Great quote by this is my uh my tradi- i guess i'm turning this into a tr- tradition of potentially butchering names i apologize if i if i butcher this name but it's a great quote by haruki murakami i hope i did that well um pain is inevitable suffering is optional 
this is uh, this is really the crux of it, right? Like th- th- this idea, even like what Buddha taught, this idea of impermanence, that things have an ending, like that nothing is permanent. You, know, you have a beginning and an, and an end. Um, so that's unfortunate for like the joyful moments, right? For I, I guess if you're being greedy, you want the joyful moments to la- to not be a moment and last forever. But it's encouraging when pain comes to to know that pain has a beginning and an end, right? That quote, "Pain is inevitable and suffering is op- optional." is powerful because it shows that, you know, pain is guaranteed to happen. I know that sounds morbid, right? Pain's coming, right? Different forms of pain, capital P, lowercase p, pain is coming your way, right? And when it does come, are you going to choose to suffer, right? Are you going to wrestle with it? Like a term I use a lot uh, with my clients is, are you going to arm wrestle with it? Like, are are you going to, is that where the struggle is going to happen? Because in, in the struggle is the suffering, right? If the pain comes, which is inevitable, can you just accept the fact that the pain is happening? Now, we will talk in a later episode that if you can better your situation, obviously, if you're suffering, if you're being inflicted some kind of pain and there's a way for you to better your situation and it's aligned with your values, go for it. More power to you. Not really, addre- not really addressing that situation. The situation I'm addressing is more the one where an event happens, it, it elicits a, a feeling that is negative or uncomfortable, and then we, um, we don't allow ourselves to feel. And the kind of work I do, that not letting us feel, that suffering, that arm wrestle that we do with the feeling, it comes a lot of different ways. It comes in uh, substance abuse. It comes in drinking to drown, to drown out and to, and to escape a particular feeling we don't want to feel. For some, it's anxiety, right? For, uh, for others, uh, it's anger. And, uh, and so there's, uh, you know, there's different feelings that we don't want to feel. And then because we don't want to feel those feelings, we begin the suffering process of arm wrestling with it and just trying to shrink the amount of time that we feel it. And that can that can be problematic, and uh, we'll talk a little bit because that uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. That's the actual idea of experiential avoidance, right? I want to avoid the experience of this feeling, and I'm going to problem solve it the best way I can, uh, as efficiently as I can, so I don't feel it anymore. And for some, it ends up being substance use. For others, it's problem behaviors. For some, it's escapism in some kind of way, and that opens up a can of worms for other problems and dilemmas that I'll talk about uh, in a little bit. We fall into these, um, <clears throat> these traps, these, uh, these traps when we, um, when we want to use our control strategies. Um, we try to use these control stra- strategies with our feelings, sometimes with our own feelings, sometimes with others' feelings. Right? But why can't we just let ourselves feel these feelings? Why can't we just let other people feel the feelings? Um, you know, it's uh, we these control strategies like the the, the title of this episode uh, about you know that you can't change the waves but you can ride them right. You can't change your, the feeling. Like, sorry if you feel sad, it's sad. You you have it. Like, what are you gonna do with it, right? Like, can you can you accept it and show yourself compassion for having it, or are you gonna go into a control strategy to try to shrink the amount of time that you feel it, right? And there's some telltale ways also, like how we try to control other people's feelings. How many times has someone, you're all stressed out about something and you're trying to tell somebody how stressed out you are and then their first response is, relax, relax, it's going to be okay, relax. Like, 
Why are you telling me to relax? I'm stressed out. Am I not allowed to be stressed out? Like it's first of all, it's invalidating. Uh, and second of all, it's a control, a control strategy. That person, for some reason, does not like how they feel when you are expressing how, how stressed out you are. So they're trying to manage their own problematic feeling by trying to control yours, which is kind of like a babushka doll, right? So I mentioned earlier Stephen Levine and, uh, and his son, Noah Levine, who's also brilliant. I would recommend reading all his books. But the, there's a quote in one of his books, and I, it's the it's called Dharma Punks. That's P-U-N-X, Dharma Punks. It's his memoir. It's a fantastic read. And he has a quote in it that says, we are all doing the very best we can to find freedom from suffering. And I would just challenge you to think, what strategies do you do to that? And what, what's your version of suffering? Like, what are you doing when the uncomfortable feelings come up when the when circumstances come up that elicit a feeling out of you that you don't want to feel like what is your version of suffering is there a pattern to it right like like that's probably going to be the question for the challenge uh, the episodic challenge that i give out but maybe that was a teaser for it uh, but ultimately can you be okay with just feeling whatever it is that you're feeling that's what acceptance would be. And, and in feeling it, can you show yourself compassion for feeling it? Can you be flexible enough to allow yourself to feel the anxiety or the sadness or the anger or the disappointment or the rejection? Can you show yourself compassion for feeling these things instead of trying desperately to escape from, from them because the discomfort is so unappetizing? Can you be flexible? experiential avoidance. So we've been talking a lot about acceptance, which is the flexible, right? right? That's, that, that's the way you, it's the process of trying to be more flexible when life throws its physics at, at us, right? When life imposes its will on us, can we uh, use acceptance strategies rather than this, these inflexible strategy of experiential avoidance, right? Uh, we become inflexible um, when we try to experientially avoid a feeling we do not want to have, right? So have a client, actually, I've had several clients in this category of uh, dilemma, I guess, to be more general. And the the feeling, they, the anxiety, the anxious, the nervousness that they feel, um, it's in, in social circles, right? So like, uh, in, in particular, I'm thinking of, of someone who, you know, it's a, it's a little bit problematic for this. It's a, it's a, you know, a, a young man who, who has trouble speaking to, to women, right? Like in the dating circles, that's a very anxiety provoking circumstance, right? Uh, and he gets caught up in his head you know, his anxiety. He gets these anxious thoughts that he's fused to like, Oh, she's going to reject me. She's going to laugh at me. I'm going to look stupid. This is going to, this is going to, uh, make me feel even less confident about myself. All these thoughts coming through his head and they're all being inspired by this feeling of anxiety that's coming up, right? There's interplay between the feeling and the, the anxious feeling and the anxious thinking, right? And because of it, he sees a girl at maybe a get-together at a party or some kind of uh, social setting and he wants to talk to her, but he doesn't because he's all caught up in this conflict. He's basically uh, just in this tug of war with himself and he he ends up avoiding the anxiety of the scenario and never goes to speak to this girl, right? 
in essence, uh, experientially avoiding the anxiety, right? Which he, you know, his logic tells him will only intensify if he were to actually approach this girl. So he escapes, right? But there's a problem that arises with this experiential avoidance. What he will quickly notice over time is that his tolerance to anxiety will go way, way down, right? So the more you avoid a particular uh, feeling, then what happens is is that you become less and less able to tolerate it. So then um, for this particular individual, less and less situations, like less stressful circumstances in, in social settings, are going to make him just as nervous as the bigger situations. And then he's always going to feel this need to to escape, to avoid, because his tolerance has gone so down. And that's the dilemma with experiential avoidance. The more you avoid that feeling, the more susceptible to 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 it you are, the less tolerable you are to it. And then you start putting yourself in a very inflexible situation where that becomes your go-to move is, I need to get out of this situation, right? For some people in social settings, when they're feeling anxieties, they be, you know, they'll drink, right? And then and they drink to, to kind of like ease ner- the nerves, you know? For others, they'll, they'll, they'll just avoid situations altogether, like physically remove themselves from the premises, you know? And then these behaviors, they become problematic because they become patterns and they become more intense, intensive, especially when dealing with alcohol or substances because your body is going to biologically build a tolerance while you emotionally lose tolerance over the feeling that inspired the problem behavior in the first place. So you're talking about a vicious cycle, right? So that is a dilemma with, with this whole idea of experiential avoidance is that it's a, it becomes a vicious cycle where you become less tolerable and then more likely to inflexibly avoid a situation and uh, it can it can undermine you in a bunch of different areas in your life it can undermine you in your professional pursuits in your interpersonal pursuits uh, and really in just in just life in general and really create blind spots in the lessons that life is trying to teach you right it's a really interesting book by dr susan david she wrote a book called uh, emotional agility and she has one part of the book that i that sticks out to me where she talks about how when when things happen in life and then it elicits this like emotional response if we can just look at our emotional response as a lesson to be learned like a classroom for us to enter so we can learn why is it in this situation of life i have felt this why all of a sudden in this particular circumstance am i feeling this this sadness or this uh or this anger all of a sudden right like why am i feeling this if we can allow ourselves to accept the feeling and then to show ourselves compassion, then we can enter the classroom to learn. And that can hopefully lead us to more of a self-aware type of being. But if we run out of the classroom, if we experientially avoid that feeling and we try to find a way of suffering to not deal with that particular feeling because we don't want to feel it, we have not given ourselves an opportunity to learn the lesson. And I think that that in itself shows the undermining that being psychologically inflexible is, especially as as it relates to experientially avoiding our feelings. To accept and to show ourselves compassion is a way to be flexible and to learn, and we get a better awareness of why these feelings are coming up in the first place, and uh, and and hope that uh, that will increase our quality of life. This episode's challenge. Well, I kind of already teased it earlier, I think, but I guess the challenge as I, you know, 
implore you to be an active participant in your own life is to pay attention to your own strategies, your own experiential avoidance type strategies. There, you, and there are definitely because you know it's just we're we're not perfect, right? Not by any means. I'm sure that there are scenarios. It might be uh, uh, with our coworkers. It might be with our family members. It might be with our significant others. It may be in traffic, right? There's probably circumstances where a feeling is elicited and. Uh, we get this feeling that, and, we, and it begins to, to brew in us and then we use an, an avoidance strategy because we just don't want to feel the feeling. Instead of, like Susan David says, entering the classroom of that feeling and learning why we have that feeling to become more self-aware. So my challenge this episode, right, is to, as you become an active, an active participant in your everyday life, is to pay attention to that and see where am, am I avoiding um, these feelings? Where is my experiential avoidance showing up? How am I becoming psychologically inflexible by avoiding certain feelings? What would it mean for me to be more in line with uh, psychological flexibility to be accepting? Like, what would acceptance look in these particular situations? Can I be compassionate to myself for feeling these things? Do I avoid these feelings because I'm incapable of showing myself compassion? Am I reluctant to show myself the self, the, my self-love for pain? And because of that, I end up avoiding certain feelings altogether and refusing to learn from that lesson in life. So that's my challenge to you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can uh, email us at thebalancingactpodcast at gmail.com. I would appreciate any feedback and questions you might have. We are a work in progress. I'm proud of the fact that we are a work in progress. We practice what we preach. This is a, this is a talk on flexibility, and this show is flexible. Uh, at least we try to be, right? And I just want to thank you so much for, for devoting the time. This is uh, the Balancing Act podcast. My name is Danny Yarrow, and I am thankful. Take care.